We'll start out by saying you are tuned into 91.3 WVKR Independent Radio, Poughkeepsie, New York. If you haven't already, please consider subscribing to the Local Motion YouTube channel, as well as giving it a like on Facebook, the Local Motion on 91.3 WVKR page. Thank you in advance. Now, let's talk about what we just heard. We just heard a new single from Lost Leaders. We'll talk about it right now with today's guest. Let's get him on the line. Byron. Hello. Hello, hello, hello. Let me do a brief introduction here, and then we want to talk about this great song that we just listened to here. I will start out by saying bassist singer-songwriter Byron Isaacs is one of the founding members of the band Ola Bell. He played bass in Levon Helm's Midnight Ramble Band, played and toured with Amy Helm and countless others. He records and tours with the Lumineers, contributing bass and vocals. His band Lost Leaders with Peter Cole just released a new single titled Long Way Down. They'll be performing here in the Hudson Valley at the Falcon in Marlboro on May 6th. And with that, a warm welcome back to Local Motion Byron Isaacs. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. Now, I also want to just say a happy belated birthday to you in person. Oh, thank you. You just had a nice celebratory event, I think. I did. I had a big party, uh, invited a ton of musicians, and I ended up, uh, we we took out a little venue here in my neighborhood and um, made an entire music night. I think I was on stage for five hours straight. <laughs> so much it's for really you having fun. the party, but everybody else in the audience sure did. Yeah, and what was really fun is uh, you know a lot of musicians who just either never really got to hang out, like knew each other a little bit, but never really got to hang out together. Like really got to meet and and mingle and uh, and people who hadn't seen each other in years because of the pandemic, you know, reconnecting. And uh, we were lucky that it didn't turn into a super spreader event. Yes. And uh, and it was really, really fun. It was, you know, it was great. I mean, it was exhausting. <laughs> so but, this uh, wasn't a surprise party. Your wife didn't do that. It was th- not a surprise maybe. No, that- um, party. It, yeah, no, my, uh, my, it started off that way. Mm-hmm. My, uh, my wife and my friend Jim Keller uh, yes. hatched the initial plan. And then after a while, they realized that, they needed my involvement to <laughs> actually get people there and to get a, a, a comprehensive list of people that I would want at such a party. Right. And so, uh, so they got me involved and I, um, I started reaching out and, and at first I, I recoiled at the idea of having a big event like that with like, you know, me playing music all night. It's like, what, like I'm going to invite my like friends and then like either make them play or make them listen to me play all night. That's <laughs> like, uh, you know, at first it, that seemed, um, you know, um, off of what I considered my, um, my personal brand of, uh, humility and compassion. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, they, uh, they, they, they convinced me that it would be a good time for all. And so I, uh, I went with it and it was, I think a, a really, really great time for all. So it was oh, fun. Oh. But, Glad to have been roped into it. It kind of like this is your life, Byron Isaacs. Probably everybody out of the woodworks and just coming together to celebrate you. What a wonderful thing! So I'm yeah, um, it was like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's really cool. Um, we just heard. I, I always like to step back in time, but let's not lose track of what we just heard. Uh, this really cool, catchy new song by your group, Lost Leaders, "Long Way Down." I particularly got hooked into the words of the the German wheels on the long Dutch road or something like talk to me about old Dutch road. Old yeah. Dutch road. Yeah. Yeah. Talk to me about yeah. what we just heard, please. Well, so it's sort of a, um, uh, a character study of, um, a sort of an imagined character, um, uh, in the Hudson Valley. I was imagining those great old, um, you know, roads with the Dutch names. Um, and, uh, and, you know, just a, um, uh, yeah, I, I'm. I'm always very interested. I find, I find people who are super driven and ambitious um, to be very compelling. Um, I'm not a particularly ambitious person. Um, you know, I, uh, I've been really lucky and had all kinds of wonderful things come my way. Um, but you know, like I, I've never had quite like the just that crazy drive that so many you know very successful people 
have. Um, and I find it compelling. It's, 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 people, folks like that are, 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 are fascinating to me. Um, sometimes they're a little scary, <laughs> uh, which I think is part of what's fascinating, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, yeah, this is a, a tale of a, of a small town, um, small town guy from, you know, uh, I was imagining the upstate, uh, area and, um, who is, uh, you know, damn well going to make it big and then, you know, drive around, um, showing off, uh, showing off mm-hmm. <laughs> basically mm-hmm. with a his, nice Mercedes um, or yeah, yeah. In, his, in his fabulous car right. and, uh, drive too fast and, um, you know, and, and, uh, yeah, so it, that's it. It's sort of a, um, a character study. And also, you know, like I, I uh, I wrote it during the winter up in Woodstock and, um, just the, uh, I just find winter up there so, so beautiful mm-hmm. and, um, mm-hmm. uh, quiet. And, and also there's just a, there's a palpable energy of some kind. I, again, another thing that I find very compelling is just the way it can get so quiet, but the air can feel so full of, uh, of almost electricity. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the winter up there, so um, so you know that the environs play a part in the song too. Mm. Yeah, there's a peaceful beauty up here um, on a on a cold yeah. winter day. Um, yeah, it's I, funny though how the peaceful beauty is is uh, even if it's very still, it's far from inactive. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. like there's there's uh, there's energy in it. It's, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, it's it's really something. Now, I, this I track it. is part of an album that you are releasing, "Jealous Son," correct? That's right. Yeah, right. it's going to be an EP. Mm-hmm. At least right now, you know, with our label, um, it's uh, it's going to be a five song EP. But it's possible um, that as we go along, that we'll decide to extend it into an LP, and then instead of coming out, uh, you know, during the summer, it'll come out in the fall and be a full length mm-hmm. album. But right now. The plan is for it to be a five-song EP. Beautiful. And this Long Way Down that we just heard, that's a track that you just released from that, correct? That's right. That's the first single. And on May 13th, uh, we're supposed to be dropping our next single, um, which I which I wanted to give to you, but then uh, I realized that our, our label probably would be mad. Would be mad letting you do that. <laughs> so, Can you tell us yeah. the name of the song? Yeah, that'll be called uh, uh, Foolish Heart. Nice. Nice. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait to hear it. Wonderful. Yeah, as soon as I heard this, I'm like, oh my gosh, this thing is just like, I want to listen to it over and over again. And with your Lost Leaders music, I kind of just feel that way. Same thing with Promises. Promises and all the other previous releases as well. They just, they catch you. And, and, you know, you see people at your shows and they are singing every single word. You know, you've got such super fans. So, um, that never ceases to amaze me. I'm always so uh, blown away when people are singing along with the words, and uh, you know, it's it's so um, uh, it it it's just lovely. Yeah, it really <laughs> must be right. It's, and this yeah, is before it really you is amazing. you haven't even released the EP yet, and everybody's got this wording down. It's a long way down already. You'll see when um, you well, good, good. <laughs> I'm glad. Yeah, no, it's it's a really really good thing. Um, Byron, we've talked about your history before, but it's been a while since you've been on. Um, and I, I just love your story because it's it's a beautiful story, as is anybody's life, right? Um, we all have them. You grew up in Texas. Um, I did. Th- and you went to college in Indiana. Talk to me about the start mm-hmm. of you playing bass. When did that become part of you in your world? So that happened for me uh, when I was 15, um, my sophomore year of high school, um, and that is my, that was how old I was, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, I, I had found a base, and so I was already in Indiana by this point. Mm, okay. But visiting my sister and my my sister and her young husband um, uh, down in Texas. Um, uh, had discovered under their bed um, her, her husband's old Fender bass. Uh, and I pulled it out and I was like, whoa, what is this crazy thing? And I was just so, <laughs> um, you know, amazed by it. 
that he gave it to me for my for my next birthday and uh so that uh that ended up you know becoming an obsession and i started you know like playing bass and trying to sound like uh um um uh, John Entwistle and Paul McCartney and, you know, learning. Were you taking <laughs> really lessons or is this self No, I wasn't. Self-taught. I wasn't. Wow. It was all just self-taught and listening to records. Uh, I had, you know, when I was young, uh, I used to sit at our family piano when we were still in Texas and, and, uh, and pick stuff out by ear. And my mom at a certain point was like, oh, I should, you know, put him in lessons. This is when I was about six years old. But the lessons that I was in were really strict. Mm-hmm. And it just was not a good fit for me. Um, I very almost immediately just stopped practicing. I was like, the hell with this. Because, you know, like I'd, she was having me play these really dumb, stupid songs. And, you know, I would find like much better songs later in the book. And I'd come in having worked on that. She's like, no, you have to start at the beginning. Ugh. And it was like, ah. And, it, you know, and she was one of those almost like, you know, ruler rapping on the knuckles type. Right. And so that just killed it for me. And so I basically stopped, I, you know, I sang in the choirs and stuff, but I, I didn't touch a musical instrument for, you know, the next nine, almost 10 years. And that's a long time uh, when you're that young. Yeah. So, of course, I never thought, and my, you know, my mother, of course, didn't think that I, was, I would ever become a, a musical, you know, an instrumentalist. <laughs> you know, I was uh, like, so it was a big surprise to stumble on the bass and uh, just have it. You know, I at the time I was into acting, mm-hmm. and uh, and I was also a skateboarder. I was a really good skateboarder. Wow! Um, and so I, the last thing I thought that I was going to be doing was music, and it it's kind of inexplicable. Uh, it just, um, I had the bass. Suddenly, that was clicking. A friend of mine gave me um, a Charles Mingus record uh-huh. that completely just blew my mind, and. Suddenly, I, you know, all I could think about was being a bass player, playing jazz, you know, um, and uh, and so like my my whole life just sort of took a a, a left turn, kind of all of a sudden. Um, what I find remarkable that is, you did not pick up a bass until you were fifteen, and then wind up going to college just a few years later, being. Good yeah. enough, quite honestly, to get into Indiana University because that's a renowned music school there. So you know, I think. Um, well, for one thing, you know, when you're a kid, you're a sponge, right? Uh, but also, you know, whenever you get really obsessed with something in that way, um, you know, you can make great strides pretty quickly, and uh, and so it, you know, it. Um, I did, you know, come into it very quickly, but I, I don't think that that's like, it's not a terribly unusual story. It wasn't like I was, you know, like some crazy prodigy by any stretch. Um, it was just suddenly all my all my energy was thrown into that. Like, right. I was driven. Right. And, um, and yeah, like, um, I started playing in the jazz band my junior year at school and started playing the upright bass. So that was when I was, you know, 16 and... Um, and uh, still had the, you know, I still have the, uh, I'm actually looking across the room at the Fender bass that, um, oh. that uh, my brother-in-law gave me. Still got it. Still use it uh, all the time. Oh, and, that uh, is so cool. But, that but is I became so an cool. upright bass player uh, mm-hmm. also. And then, yeah, I went to Indiana University, the jazz school for, uh, you know, on, on, on upright bass uh, within, you know, two years. So it was, it was fast but you know when you're that age it didn't feel fast right um right it just all fell together yeah and, um and you know that was my life now yeah. <laughs> it's just it's a you know a pivot like that when i look back on it does seem crazy but when you're a kid you know your life is full of pivots mm-hmm. you know it's like um that's kind of what life is mm-hmm. like you know and so um as adults you know, our our um, our changes are are more incremental and uh, more um, measured. Mm-hmm. 
and 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 thought out beforehand usually right um, right that's the but, beauty uh, of youth yeah, right they, they say the innocence yeah. of youth and how how exactly. that all falls yeah what i also think is really cool is that your mom was in college at the same college the same time you yeah, were that's right yeah that's right that was fun yeah uh we had moved up there uh when i was 13 originally uh when she entered a phd program and so uh um, we were students together the whole time and for a while, you know, I was is still in middle school and then high school and then, you know, I got into the um the music school there and so, you know, we were college students together. Of yeah. course she was a graduate student. Um and uh and you know, she got her PhD while I was um, you know, uh, hauling my upright bass back and forth to, through practice rooms. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh man, amazing, yeah. amazing! It was, it was Such neat. a sweet, yeah. sweet story. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, of course, you moved to NYC. Yeah, that's right. I moved here originally to play jazz, and uh, and did for years. Um, but I, along the way, discovered. Um, discovered song writing and uh and that that again that was another one of those pivots um you know i was very invested in 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 jazz but when i it was a it was a suzanne vega record that i heard um that just uh suddenly opened my eyes to that incredible alchemy of uh you know poetry and music together i it just my eyes opened up. It was like, oh my God, I need to do that. Mm. And so um, I started writing songs, uh, really bad songs at first, mm-hmm. but uh, and, but playing with songwriters and um, sort of found myself transitioning out of the jazz world and into, um, into the singer-songwriter scene that was happening in New York uh, and the, you know, the living room scene and, you know, what... Uh, the, I, I came into it right at sort of the end of the Chenet period, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and the beginning of the the living room uh, scene, and and it was an incredible time. There was so much uh, energy in the singer songwriter world in New York at that time. Um, so much creativity, so many great writers. And you've worked with so many of them. I know you spent some yeah. time with uh, Mary Fall, formerly of the October oh, Project. Yeah. yeah, yeah, a lot of years with Mary. Oh, I love Mary. Man, is she great! Wow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and Joan Baez too. Yep, yep. Yeah. Got to play with Joan. Yeah, yeah. Joan was fantastic. Wow. Really wow. funny. I don't know if, how many people know this about Joan. I think she got a. a, a like a false reputation for being um, like humorless because she was an activist, you know, mm-hmm. but it's completely false. She's one of the funniest people I've ever known. Like <laughs> honestly could have gone into, into stand up. She is such a wit. Oh, that she is, is so good. To know. Oh. oh my gosh. Yeah. She's, she's great. Wow. So she was a lot of fun to be on tour with. Yeah. I, I enjoyed Joan uh, a lot, you know? Right. Yeah. Right. And you just, I mean, you just morphed into this, amazing songwriter musician and got to tour with all these people and then you also got to meet Levon who yeah with the midnight yeah. rambles that seemed to have changed many people's lives those 10 years with Levon and your history yeah. goes back before the rambles because of Amy um talk about that whole right. connection if you would with the start of Ola Bell and Amy and how Levon came into that please well let's see so um i met through so so many of the people that I know, I met through this one uh, character, this one drummer named David Berger. I think mm-hmm. you've probably seen him play. Mm-hmm. Um, I met David Berger really early on when I first moved to New York and played jazz with him, but also started playing with singer-songwriters with him. And he would invite me to play with people that he was playing with. And uh, through him, I started playing with Fiona McBain, who, um, you know, and ended up in Ola Bell, but I was playing in her own band, mm-hmm. uh, doing her uh, singer-songwriter thing for, uh, with with David Berger. David Berger also got me, uh, introduced me to Glenn Patra, who was the keyboard player who, um, uh, uh, in Ola Bell, and who had just moved up from New Orleans 
uh, he's gone to college at UNO, and David Berger had had gone to school with him down there. So he's like, "Oh, you have to you have to meet Glenn." And then he you know, pulled Glenn also into um, Fiona's band, and then Glenn and I started a band. Glenn, meanwhile, had met Amy down in New Orleans. Uh, she was she had been down there uh, when her dad opened his uh, Levon Helms American Roadhouse. Uh, he had a club down in New Orleans for a few years, so Amy was down there with him doing that and had played with Glenn down in New Orleans. Um, and so he brought her in to the studio to sing on some stuff that Glenn and I had written together. And uh, Berger was playing drums. Uh, that was a band called Arvo. Arvo, okay. David Berger, yeah. Um, One of these days, uh, I should dig up some Arvo for you to play. I would love that. (laughs) Uh, I'll try. I'll try to find it. Yeah. Uh, There's actually some. There's some good stuff there, Uh, and you can hear Amy singing with us the the first time that um, that uh, Glenn and Amy and I were on record together, um, predating Olabel. So, uh, so then. Olabel ended up happening with um, Glenn and Amy and Fiona, and then um, a guitar player that we were friends with who had been in Mary Falls' band with all of us. So, so Mary Falls' band was David Berger on drums, Glenn Pacha on keyboards, Fiona McBain on guitars and vocal. Um, uh, this fellow. Uh, Jimmy Zhivago mm-hmm. on guitars mm-hmm. and me. And so we got Jimmy Zhivago into this new band that we were doing with Amy. I mean, yeah, with Amy home. And, uh, and so and then, uh, David Berger couldn't do, couldn't do it because he was off to France with, um, with, uh, someone else that he was working with. And so we got Tony Leone in and that's the band that ended up becoming Olabel. Olabel. Yeah. Yeah. And so because of Amy, when uh, we were making a record, Levon happened to be in town and stopped by the studio while we were making our first album. And he ended up playing on a couple songs on that album. But you really didn't know how, him, right? You didn't. I didn't know him. And I didn't really know who he was. <laughs> Love that. Um, yeah. And uh, I've probably told this story to you before, right? But it's uh, a great it, one. So please repeat. Was, it's a beautiful all right. So, um, uh, Levon comes into the studio and everyone else in the band, except for Amy, of course, uh, freezes. They're, they're starstruck. And I honestly didn't, I, I, I was like, what's wrong with you guys? Like, I, I didn't get what was happening. You know, I knew that Levon had been in a band called The Band and that they had done the wait. Um, actually, I wasn't even sure that they had done that. I knew. I'm not sure that I knew that they had done the wait yet. But I vaguely knew about them. What I remembered mainly was that my mom, years before, had talked about how once uh, Bob Dylan had a band called the Band, and she thought that was funny. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, and, uh huh. And. And that's really all I knew about it. And I was like, okay, yeah, Amy's dad played with Dylan, had a band called The Band. That's cool. But why are you guys freaking out so much? I didn't know the music of the band at all. Mm. Uh, It was just one of those things. When I um, got into music the way that I did, um, I followed my immediate interests, which for a lot of years there was just jazz. Just jazz, yeah. And um, and then I got into playing with all these singer-songwriters, so I was, I was learning and getting into mostly new original songs. Mm-hmm. And there was just a lot, I mean, vast swaths of American music that I was completely ignorant of. Mm-hmm. Stuff that was like, you know, not hidden, not obscure, right out there in the open. But just not part just, of your world. I, it just, yeah, I had just missed. Right. And... Um, you know, so I've spent a lot of years trying to close up the gaps. Um, but, you know, there's still there's still stuff that I should know that I don't. Oh. Uh, just, you know, or, you know, I say should know. that I think, um, you know, uh, most people um, 
most music aficionados would find me to be impossibly ignorant <laughs> on a lot of fronts. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. That being said, um, I, uh, you know, I had, hadn't yet uh, had the incredible experience of hearing the band. Right. So uh, here's Levon in the studio, and I'm the only guy in there who's acting normally to it, toward him. <laughs> and so uh, he and I hit it off right away and um, discovered that we had a great groove together. When he sat down at the kit, it just felt great immediately. Mm. And my reaction was like, oh, man, Amy's dad's got a great beat. <laughs> <laughs> he's pretty funky. And, uh, you know, I, not realizing that the guy was a legend, right, you know, right. I, I didn't know. I was like, wow, Amy's dad can really play. He right. sounds amazing. So, uh, so we cut a couple of tracks and really were laughing a lot and hitting it off. And, um, Butch Denner was with him that day mm-hmm. and, um, uh, pulled me aside and said, uh, the boss is going to be calling you. And I said, oh, really? Okay. And he's like, yeah, give me your number. So I wrote, you know, I gave him my phone number. And he's like, you know Willie Dixon's songs? And I was like, um, some. He's like, here. And he, like, wrote down on a piece of paper, like, some 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 records to get, some, like, good old chess records. He's like, check out these records. He's going to be calling you. I'm like, oh, okay. At the time, you know, Levon had uh, the Barn Burners. Mm-hmm. And they did, you know like great old blues classics. And um, at that point, uh, he still wasn't singing yet. He had had throat cancer, had been told he would never sing again. And so he had thrown himself into his drumming with a renewed vigor mm-hmm. because that was, he felt, you know... The only thing he really could do. What he, yeah. yeah, what he could excel at because, you know, like... I mean, he played a bunch of other instruments, obviously, but um, but drums were the closest to his heart so he had really thrown himself into his drumming and had decided that he was going to be um the best delta blues drummer mm-hmm. uh alive uh, at in these times mm-hmm. you know since since the guys that he loved when he was a kid who played with um sunny boy and the flower uh you know the king biscuit flower hour you know he would he would hitchhike in um from uh, from Turkey Scratch to to see that show live in Helena and uh and that drummer like just put a an indelible stamp on his you know in his heart mm-hmm. and uh and so he was like I'm going to do that I'm going to be the best in the world at that so th- that's the precise moment that I met him and was so taken by his drumming and what he was doing at the time and did you run out and get all moment, the band albums after that initial meeting well so yeah so he left um made a big impression on me and so i told the guys like all right so what band records should i get i clearly needed to know what know what this is about now and they said well you got to start with the first two and um so i thinking that that the brown album was the first album um because it's just entitled the band um i got that one first and uh um and i just couldn't believe it it was uh like that i really actually had the hair standing on end especially like i remember hearing whispering pines for the first time like all the hair on my body stood up. Wow. I was all goose pimples, uh, goose pimples, like, oh my God. Like, it was, uh, it was completely a revelation. Now, what so, was your second meeting after discovering this with well, yeah, Levon like? Yeah, the next time I saw Levon, uh, I was just as starstruck and not <laughs> as, as everybody else. <laughs> you were <laughs> like, okay, n- out. now I get it. Now I, I get it. Yeah. Yeah, he was probably like, what happened to you? <laughs> you were this cool guy. Now what's going yeah. on? Now yeah, what's exactly. going on? Oh, no. Oh. Yeah. And, so, and you spent funny. the best or better part of a decade with him at these amazing, legendary Midnight Rambles. Um, I mean, yeah, what a we career. Yeah, we got to be there at the very first, at the very beginning of them. Oh. Um, and, uh, and, you know, we were sort of the aerosots um house band until uh 
we had to like hit the road for for our next record that was coming out and uh and couldn't keep doing them with him mm-hmm. for for a period of time and so that's when Jimmy Vivino put together the Levon Helm band for him mm-hmm. and um and so then at that point when we'd come back we would open and then you know jump up on stage and sing and be part of the you know the big pre for all at the end of the show right uh, which, you know, in the early days was not the wait. You know, he wasn't still, he still hadn't started doing band material yet. Oh. It took Jimmy Vivino a long time of pushing him. Really? He finally started doing, yeah, before he finally started doing band songs. Yeah. Oh. No, he, he was adamant never to play that material again. Wow. Um, wow. But, uh, but honestly, you know, the crowd... It wasn't just because, you know, Jimmy Vivino and others of us were, like, encouraging him to do it. He realized that it would really make so many people happy yes. for him singing those songs again. Yeah. And so he, he really did it for the fans. Yeah, 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 yeah. He put it all aside. You, you know, know, and with all yeah. his health struggles, and then this last 10 years of his life with these rambles, and three Grammys. yeah. Well, you know what's amazing? What I what I got to see, um, I still reflect on this, and I, I can hardly believe it, but I have to remember that when I first met him, he was kind of languishing in obscurity. Mm-hmm. Like, I wasn't the only person who didn't really know who Levon Helm mm-hmm. was. Mm-hmm. Like, um, there were a lot of musicians who weren't really sure who that was. Um, you know, he was, um, you know, another, like, classic rock casualty, kind mm-hmm. of, who was just, um, you know puttering around doing small gigs um, with, uh, you know, in, in little clubs and, you know, having trouble filling the places and, you know, like, like he was, uh, but still doing it and still passionate about the music. Right. But, you know, people like, you know, and, and so I got to be kind of, you know, among those in the front seat to see this incredible uh, third, third act. Yeah. And him, him bec- go from obscurity to to legend to legend like, to legend yeah you know yeah like yeah. there were no there were no Grammys like in his future at that point like, no nobody, nobody would have seen that right you know and 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 the 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 incredible cottage industry of the um, the midnight rambles right. you know right. like he uh, he dreamed that up just you know kind of, kind of he just. At first, it was it was a house party to just try to make the make the mortgage so right. that he wouldn't lose the house. You yep. know, the house was up on the auction block, yeah. And um, he managed to get that staved off, and made you know managed to like make a deal to sit, get a little time and and just by the skin of his teeth and and this idea of these house concerts managed to save his house. Right. And then build and build and build. And then, then yeah, three Grammys three later. Three Grammys later. And you, know, you wrote a song every, on... In all the consciousness of everybody. Like, he was, right. you know, now you, you can't... You, it's hard to find a musician who doesn't know damn well who Levon is. Oh, yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. Uh, it's, uh, it, you know, it, it was amazing. Yeah. Like, he, he really went from obscurity to legend in just a few short years. Just a few short years. Uh, it's an incredible thing to see. And on you know, Dirt like, Farmer... The, the damnedest thing I ever saw. I bet it is. Uh, many people yeah. could say that, too. Uh, um, the, the album Dirt Farmer, you also wrote the song Calvary on there. And yeah, that's right. That's, yeah, what a beautiful thing. And to have that memory and those memories with him on those recordings, I mean, he just sounded in tip-top shape in those. And also, were you part of what's coming out now with Mavis and Levon? Yeah, I played on that. Yeah, that was amazing. I am so glad that's finally coming out. You know, that had gotten stuck in sort of a battle between two labels mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for years. It was supposed to come out, but the... the uh, um, Mavis's label, which I think was anti, and Levon's label, um, which was part of uh, part of Concord, maybe, um, like uh, couldn't come to an agreement because they had sort of a, a different um, they had different um, royalties terms or something like that, uh-huh. and they had really stuck their feet in, uh, and so it just wasn't going anywhere, and it really just got hung up and stuck. And uh, that incredible album, you know, none of us thought that it was ever going to come out. Right. So right. I'm really, really glad that whatever happened, 
um, somebody worked it out. out. Yeah, yeah. And now that was an amazing experience. Oh, I can only imagine. I mean, yeah. Anybody I've talked to about it has, you know, Larry and Eric Lawrence also had talked about it. And just the way that all came about is just beautiful. And the album, I think, is either out or coming out, right? And Mavis, of course, will be at the Dirt Farmer Festival. Um, I I know know, you will not be there. So much I could be there. Oh, it's killing me. That's when you need a clone machine. I know. <laughs> I know. You really do because uh, yeah. yeah, you're you're out on the road. Um yeah. No, it's a, it's a really beautiful story though and it's it's so nice. Larry I just saw Larry at Carnegie Hall the other night and he was talking oh, about yeah. it and he's so excited to be performing it with her and and be oh, a part man. of that. So, yeah. Yeah. That, that's a really really good thing. Um and also, um, so Lost Leaders, which, of course, you and Peter met years ago, right? Like 20 years ago? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. More. Yeah, we met in the late 90s. Uh-huh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's incredible. I, I think uh, 24 years ago, maybe, 1998. And Lost Leaders, you this is what, you're like fourth? release coming out or fifth or something you definitely have some great albums underneath um oh thank you yeah underneath your your belt there lostleaders.net i want to tell people um if they're not familiar with that music it is just so cool very different and um it's a lot of fun you and peter have great energy together one can tell that you have played together for a long time now you're both songwriters yes yeah, that's right. That's right. And so we're, um, you know, the the stuff we do is either, you know, like we'll, we'll both bring in our own songs and then we'll also help each other finish things that either one of us has started or uh, sometimes we'll start something from scratch together. And so, you know, but uh, all of our fingerprints are all over uh, everything. <laughs> so fun. And Lost Leaders, you know. Lost yeah. Leaders, so much fun. And, um, you also, we have to say, your nephew and Lee Falco are part of yeah. the band when you guys are playing live as well, correct? Yeah, that's right. Will Bryant and Lee Falco. What a band. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Our, uh, our cup runneth over. Yes, <laughs> yes. Those kids are amazing. They really and, are. Uh, yeah. They were amazing when they were, like, we taught. Yeah. But now they're, they've really, like, you know, they've grown into formidable uh musicians now uh, it's it's really it's astonishing mm-hmm. and um you know at this point you know i think in the beginning like um you know they felt really glad to be playing with us you know right and, uh, i think i think now it's like we know we're we're, we're lucky to still be playing Aww. with them. <laughs> oh that's awesome that's <laughs> awesome time for their uh you know for their uncle's band. For the yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. That's so sweet. Yeah. But the energy together with you guys are great. So you've got shows coming up um, at Rockwood on May fifth. Yes, that's right. Lost yep. leaders, and uh, that's with Jim Keller also. By the way, right. I just yeah, played a track. Buddy. Yeah, I just played a track of his from Heaven Can Wait, um, Cali yeah. Girl, because you and oh, he right. produced sure. that. Yeah, that's right. Uh-huh. And wrote all the songs. And, uh, and that's a and that's a co-write. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I, did I co-write all of them? I'm not even sure. I, um, I, I can tell you because it's but, sitting but here in front of, of me. Yes, all uh-huh. songs written by Jim Keller and Byron Isaacs, except Back oh, on oh. Top, written by Jim Keller, Byron Isaacs, and Glenn Pacha. So your song, you're, <laughs> you're a co-writer on 11 of these tracks. Well, that's great. All yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> so you and Jim, I'm never sure. And so credit where it's not necessarily. <laughs> no, no. You know, you're all over Jim, this Jim album. Jim likes to give credit to me. Aw. <laughs> so May fifth at Rockwood Music Hall, May sixth yes. here at the Falcon in Marlboro. Also Jim Keller. It's a it's a split bill. Um, right. And um, then May seventh, three nights in a row, you're going from the yeah. city to the Hudson Valley to Massachusetts. The fallout uh, shelter. Um, So that's that's cool. And now we also can say that you will be June 30th at Colony in Woodstock. That's right. Perfect. Which they haven't put on the on their website yet, but uh, but we've confirmed it. So yeah, can, yeah, uh, it's good to go. It. it is good yeah. to go, which is wonderful. Um, yeah. Also, we obviously have to talk about 
you're going all over the planet. You've been all over the planet recently and are going back on the yeah. road. The North American tour starts May 17th in Jacksonville, Florida with the Lumineers. Yeah, I'm really excited. Yeah. It, that, that band is just, uh, it, the energy is amazing. Um, and, you know, they run a, they run a tight ship and it's a class act all the way around and they're just lovely, lovely people. Um, but man, I, you know, there's, there's just nothing like their crowd. Mm-hmm. They've got, they've got, uh, an, uh, just fantastic fans. And, uh, you know, it's, um, it's really moving, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, there there are just all these kids, these young folks out in the audience with tears streaming down oh, there, singing singing along every word, right. just like. And you know, you see people, you'll see someone kneeling, and you'll realize, like, oh, that person's getting proposed to, <laughs> and uh, and there's all this crazy stuff going on. Like, like emotions are heightened. Um, it's uh, it's inc- it's an incredible thing to be a part of. Yeah, it's, and their uh, music. Do you you know you've recorded a few albums with them now? Three, right? Yeah, and they're just they're just so strong. Their their writing is so cool and so so you know they're, they're unique. Mm-hmm. You just don't hear songs like that. They they always surprise me with the stuff they come up with. There's nothing formulaic about a about a Lumineers song, right. and um, sometimes I feel like I, I hear what they're doing, and it's like, man, you guys are really you're going for the artistic thing here. You're not going for uh, a hit. Number one radio and hit. Yeah. And then it'll, and then it'll like go to number one. And I'm yeah. like, wow. <laughs> like, it's uh, like, they don't have to, to do anything formulaic to, to have a hit. Like right. it resonates, right. it resonates with people. They just, they, um, they, uh, they, they, they've caught the, they've caught the tailwind. You yeah. Know? Yeah. A hundred percent. Now Lumineers yeah. just released a new album, which you also recorded on right here in, in the Hudson Valley, uh, David Barron's, yeah. um, bright side is the name of the album. Now, when you go to record, do you know the music before you go to record, do you have time or do you just all go to like David's and that's where you're learning the music? Generally speaking, and, you know, this record, uh, you know, I know that some of the stuff they even wrote in the studio. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, generally, I think they've come to like doing less pre-production mm-hmm. because, you know, the discovery uh, in the studio can end up sounding really good on tape. Sure. You know, catching the initial, catching an idea as it's being born. There's a there's an energy in there, mm-hmm. and um, and so, you know, I mean, they did come mostly with written songs, but um, uh, but you know, the, all the arranging, everything is is happening right there. Tape is always rolling. You know, a lot of very first impressions are being caught, and when I come in. <clears throat> I was there for a couple of tunes as they just began the, the tracking process, but we discovered that um, sometimes it's nice for a track to be pretty fleshed out before I come in, mm-hmm. um, because then there can be more room for me to um, to to uh, to to be more mo- like I'll know where I can be more melodic mm-hmm. or have to just be more foundational um, if I'm in at the beginning. I'm going to tend to be more conservative about what I play in the bass to leave room for other things to other elements to come in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and so if the bass is recorded later, there's often a chance that it's going to be more active. Uh, and apparently, you know, Paul McCartney likes to do that too, to record his bass after. Mm. <laughs> Interesting. You know? Yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, on this, on this, like this album, there there are a few songs where I'm doing more um, more on the bass than I have on the previous records. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's uh, I'm quite proud of some of the bass playing on this album. Well, I mean, we're, we're going to listen. I'm in proud of all the playing, but but, right. uh, but you know. Right, uh, but but there's some stuff where I really got to step out, which is really really fun. Well, listen, I'm <laughs> guessing with each album and the more time you have under your belt with these guys in the band, 
you're all more comfortable, especially during the recording part, right? They trust you more. Sure, they, and there's, they there's just a lot like, of trust. Yeah, and it's like, yeah. hey, Byron, look how creative this guy is. Let him, let's just let him do its thing, his thing, you know? So I'm guessing after years and a couple of albums under your belt now, that's kind of just the evolution of it. Yeah, it's a it's a good thing. It's um we're a we're a we're a well broken in shoe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you are. Yeah, a very comfortable shoe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Very comfy. Um, so Lumineers start Jacksonville, Florida on May seventeenth. They're literally all over the U.S. and Canada. They will be here in the Northeast Saratoga Performing Arts Center on May 29th, which I do believe might be Memorial Day weekend. Um, and then your tour with the Lumineers ends September 24th in Bridgeport, Connecticut at the Sound on Sound Music Festival. So l- listeners, just go to thelumineers.com and look at the calendar, pick a date because they're coming to a city near you and you just got done in Europe. Yeah, that was really fun. Yeah. yeah. What was fun about that is we were the first band in a bunch of these venues mm-hmm. uh, to play since the lockdown. Since things open up again, so, sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and so people were so excited and grateful to be out at live music again. Oh, my gosh. Uh, can... Audiences were incredible. The energy was phenomenal. You know, normally, like, there are some places you expect it. Like, you play in Spain, you know that the crowd is going to be, like, wild and, <laughs> um, you know, just open-hearted and, and, uh, and screaming. Um, but, like, you go to Paris, Paris is more like New York City, where, you know, people are a little more, like, you know, they're reserved and they, um, you know, they're cool and they're, uh, you know... They might even have their arms folded for a while, right? You know, like Par- Paris, you you know, you you don't get too offended if they're not quite as uh, as noisy as say Madrid, right. Um, right? Right. But they were crazy. They were insane. Aww. Like they, they um, yeah, Aww. it was. Uh, it was fantastic. I've never seen a Parisian audience. And so for sometimes. you guys as the <laughs> band, it must have been equally. I mean, you guys got sidelined for a long time, right? And yeah, and yeah, we had just started our tour for three. Yeah, uh, when when it all stopped, we had, we had played just a you know a handful of dates. We're at the beginning of what was supposed to be a two year world tour. Right. And uh and it just got shut down. And it got shut um, down, yeah. But yeah, now but, man you know, that's a similar story. Boy, we share that story with so many So many people. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well it's great yeah, so that it felt great for all of us. And now, I mean this album is amazing. I'm gonna I'm gonna um play reprise so the lumineers bright side reprise and listen to some of the work that you've done with them and and byron your your lost leaders and come see you when you're not on the road i love how you just like you know you've got it all beautifully mapped out for yourself so it's like okay these dates are for Uh lost leaders and okay i'll go out on tour with the lumineers for a bit and then you know you're coming back to this so it's really heartwarming to um to see you just love what you're doing and um and to see you have just blossomed you know like you say with watching will and lee which we all have many of us have watched you over the years and and it's really beautiful to see and it's really beautiful yeah, I to do see. Feel really, really, really lucky, yeah. and uh, and I love like I I consider the Hudson Valley to be my home. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, even though I, I live I live in Brooklyn, but really so much of what's happened for me has come out of uh, has come out of Woodstock and the, the whole Hudson Valley area. Yeah. Well, you are <laughs> loved. You know, the Falcon you know, is going to be packed. Yeah. For Lost Leaders. I and can't wait. Oh, yeah. my gosh. So, yeah. So, Lost Leaders, just to reiterate again, next week, May 5, you're at Rockwood Music Hall, May 6 at the Falcon, May 7, the Fallout Shelter in Massachusetts, and you'll be back with Lost Leaders Colony in Woodstock on June 30th. The rest of the in-between from May through June, you can find you on the stage with the Lumineers. And Byron, you're all over socials. Um, your website, I 
recommend people follow you, keep up with this beautiful career you have going on. I really look forward to hearing the second single off of um, Jealous Son. And, um, you know, I, I will see you at the end of June. I'm sorry, I'm not going to see you sooner, but you and I are literally on opposite ends of where we can be to um, to enjoy your music. Right. But um, that happens. But in the meantime, I, I wish you safe travels. I can't wait to see you live and in person and have that time of your life, my friend. Thank you, thank you, and right back at you with your travels. Oh, absolutely, thank you, yeah. I'm, and I'm, thank you again for having me today, this uh, is so much fun. Byron, it's always a pleasure, it's it's just so nice talking with you, and I definitely wish you all the best, continued success, continued health, and most of all, much happiness to you, much happiness and thank love. You. Tell Jess I said hello, and I look forward to I seeing will. you guys sooner rather than later. Me too. All right. You have a good night. Thank you. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. 91.3 WVKR, Independent Radio, Poughkeepsie, New York. Byron Isaacs from Lost Leaders and the Lumineers. If you missed part or all of that interview, it'll be uploaded on the YouTube channel this evening. And you can also check out the Facebook page, Local Motion on 91.3 WVKR. I will be back next week with Neil Howard, the owner of Colony Woodstock. In two weeks, I'll be joined by Scott Sherrard, who is one of the newest members of Little Feet. In three weeks, we will have John Reagan on the show. Lots of good stuff lined up. And right now, we're going to take a listen to the Lumineers' Bright Side with Byron Isaacs in the band, and this is called Reprise. And we'll take a listen. I'll be back next week. Until next time, I wish you peace. since 1971, broadcasting throughout the Hudson Valley on 91.3 and all over the world on wvkr.org.